Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 267. Very exciting episode. Very exciting episode. Uh, I'm not going to just keep saying it's exciting. I'm actually going to play the episode in a sec. But first, a couple of things to plug. Wait, wait, don't fast forward scrub ahead. Listen. Please? Okay, thanks. Uh, Nerdist channel, youtube.com slash Nerdist. Uh, new series, uh, Blood and Guts from Fangoria and Scott Ian. It's a makeup effects show. Super kick-ass show. The first episode uh, was Greg Nicotero. We're also going to be having a lot of uh, Walking Dead-themed programming at the Nerdist channel around the premiere of Walking Dead, October 14th. Uh, all weekend long, Walking Dead-themed programming. And Talking Dead returns right after Walking Dead on AMC, October 14th. That's my show, in case you don't. Well, I probably talk about it enough. Enough about me, but here's some more about me. I'm going to be performing at Zany's in Nashville December 6th to the 9th. So if you go to uh, just just look for Zany's, you probably know how the internet works with your Google or your Alta Vista or your Lycos or, however you, or your web crawler, however you search things. Uh, and then there's going to be a lot more stand-up shows because my Comedy Central special premieres November 10th. And once that airs, it's new hour of comedy time. So I'm going to go on the road and uh, we're going to work that out together. It'll be more fun than it sounds. It's not going to be shitty. Uh, so that's all that business. I would like to thank uh, Stamps.com for supporting this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. You can print and buy official U.S postage using your own computer and printer or someone else's i guess if you 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 know it doesn't have to be yours i mean now we're just getting into semantics the fact is you can print any u.s postage mail any package any letter postman will come pick it up from your house you never even have to go into the post office and just build up that disgruntled rage that slowly boils until it just spews out like hot magma at other people in your life all that goes away right now if you go to stamps.com you can use the promo code NERDIST for a special offer. No risk trial, $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. You're welcome. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the page and type in NERDIST. That's stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Okay, you guys. Oh, man. I'm, a, I'm almost hyperventilating even introducing this episode. So, it's Tom Hanks, uh, and if you read the thing that was downloaded, you might be like, bullshit, but it is not bullshit, it is serious. Tom, well, it's funny, but I mean, we're serious about the fact that it's Tom Hanks, and you gotta say his name, Tom Hanks, he has one of those names, you have to say his first and last name, I'm told I have the same thing, it's me, Chris Hardwick, yes, even I do it. So, this was a superlatively fun episode, Tom Hanks was gracious and 
as nice as you've heard he is, uh, super hilarious. I'm really proud of this episode. You know, it's a, we, after working on this show for a couple of years, almost three years, and then you, someone like Tom Hanks says, "Hey, I want to do your podcast." It just it just validates us in a way. I'm getting gushy now. Damn it. Yeah, I better put my cynical pants back on. Oh, cynical pants bursting! I love you, Tom Hanks. And I love you, Nerdist Podcast listener. Thanks for letting me ramble a bit at the top. Uh, I'm just overexcited. <laughs> That's what nerds do. Okay, Nerdist Podcast number 267 with Tom Hanks! Now entering Nerdist.com. I sit. You're we'll gonna... sit you right here. Okay. All right. Let me get let me get a soft thing for my uh, cup of tea. Oh okay. gosh. So it won't bonk. Does anybody need anything? Maybe we should put soft things under our glasses. Well, let me get you some soft things. I'd rather a coaster. Stick <laughs> <laughs> a cat. Paper yeah. towels. I'm gonna go into do not disturb mode, which I did you really? thoroughly appreciate. Great, right? what it only you took six iterations of the firmware to. Oh, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just you don't. You can still. What is you can it? Still what's get it, what's it like to produce a baseball game? Is it great, or did you go nuts after a while? I did it eight years. I did every game. I traveled with the team. So oh, that's fun. I used to love baseball, and now. Now you've seen behind the curtain. Not so much. Yeah, and all the magic's gone once you see that. It's all fake, like wrestling. <laughs> I love the idea that baseball would be all yeah. I was for a couple of games uh, with the Dodgers. I was the guy on MLB.com when I first moved to LA that would track the pitch and be like, oh, I was the 78 mile an hour curveball. Really? The break of the pitch and where it landed. See, that was a. That did, was... did your attention ever wane? And so you're not like, you don't pay attention for like three pitches? Uh, you would occasionally, I would look up and see, okay, that was a fastball. Do you ever I fall asleep not... because you're watching baseball? No, Jonah, I love baseball. <laughs> <laughs> see, and I don't know enough about sports because you said when I'm, I track the ball, I'm like, where else does it go other than that <laughs> well, direct line? I was saying the other day, you remember the Dodgers used to have the guy in the hat behind home plate that would lift yes. up the, 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 the radar gun? And then he'd pitch, and he'd put the radar gun down, and he'd write something down on a pad, then he'd pick the radar gun up and yep. up again. Yep. But he was only for the Dodgers pitchers, right? Yeah, or or was he only the visitors? I can't remember. Well, it depends, because there's, there's either a scout, there's either scouts there for either team that'll have their own radar guns. Right. Because they don't trust the radar guns. Oh, right, gun. right, yeah. Uh, and then there's the MLB guy. Well, I felt bad because he, he probably got put out of work because of some gaffer's tape. <laughs> you know, they, just, they just taped the radar gun, you know, yeah. to the backstop, yeah, and that sure. pretty much provided them with all the information. I this like tape is taking our jobs. <laughs> I like to think that when they look at the pad, it's just full of pages that says, I'll get you someday, I'll get you yeah, all. And it's like, flip them. We got it. Uh, it's all important records that end up, end up making it possible yeah. for them to rig the game. Yeah, exactly. As you yourself have yeah. just noted. What do you do with these? Why storm away and put them in a warehouse? What do you, when then there, what happens? 
I don't know. That's not mine. That's, that's, that's where the signals are between the catcher and the pitcher, reminding him of how slow or bad he has to throw the ball. <laughs> so that the gamblers yeah. will win the... I, was, I heard... Uh, the, I don't watch a lot of sports but uh, like ESPN, but evidently there was a big... I didn't see the game, but there's a oh, big play. Oh, there was play. something with a football There was game. a football thing last night in <laughs> yeah. which the, either the refs got it completely wrong or... They did. Got it, did, yeah. they, did they get it completely wrong? Yeah, incredibly so. Uh, last play of the game... Uh, the what was clearly not a touchdown. There's you, there's a picture of it too, because one ref's got his hands up, other ref's going no, and this is also off of the Sunday night game where the Patriots lost off of a field goal that clearly was not. Oh, a you field already goal. lost me. Yeah, okay. well, too I'm bad. But so my, I think the, my uh, point until I was put to sleep yeah. there for. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it to anybody. Was, was that they said on they said on TV that something like worldwide like five hundred million dollars. Was lost because yeah. they didn't beat the. Sp- I don't know how point spreads yeah. work or anything, but because they scored a touchdown and yeah. didn't beat the spread or beat yeah. the spread, whatever it is, a lot of people lost a lot of money. Yeah. And, and that guy just walked off the field and said, "I'll just uh, be." Yeah, I'll. Uh, I, I'll yeah. <laughs> well, it's like that guy that with a Cubs fan that caught the ball and made it. Oh, all that run. guy. Yeah. yeah. Think, did they make Steve a documentary? Bartman, yeah, about him? a thirty for thirty on ESPN. Oh, yeah, really? yeah, 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 it was yeah. great. I, so beware. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't go to a game. <laughs> you could so, you could do something so stupid or or natural that will haunt you for the rest yeah. of your it's life. It's like going to a foreign country and then you just uh, you know you end up like scratching your head. You're like they don't do that in public well, here. I think, I think I don't know. And again, I don't know much about sports, but someone made fun of me on Twitter because they're like, "There's a sports thing happening right now that's huge, and you probably don't know about it." And I didn't, so I called my mom, who's a huge sports nerd. Okay. Yeah. And she laughed at me for not knowing, and then she explained, well, all the reps are on strike, and they brought in all these temp guys, and there was... So it essentially sounds like oh. they just like pulled in a guy who worked at Foot Locker because he had the shirt on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that was the. And this will be in 20 years. This will be an Adam Sandler movie. I can count on that. <laughs> okay. Oh, the yeah. replacement rep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wacky feel-good yeah. comedy. Uh, Tim Robbins. In which, yeah. Somehow Al Pacino still uh, alive. I'm telling you what the story is right now. <laughs> a lowly insurance salesman, or even worse, like a, 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 a dental hygienist. You know, his, oh. his wife doesn't respect him, his kids don't care about him, or he can't find love, you mm-hmm, pick, sure. yeah. whatever whatever the modern <laughs> dilemma is. But lo and behold, he gets hired to be the replacement ref for an NFL game uh, and goes on for, I don't know, either getting it wrong well, or Well, Tom, right. I'm yeah, curious, yeah. at the end, would he redeem himself in some way? Oh, I believe what would happen is the, the, the kids would have newfound respect for their dad because yeah. he stood up for his principles. It's right. Really, it's a... Because he was the only one who saw what really happened. <laughs> right. And then, well, then there would have to be some sort of proof to justify... His existence. Well, what's going to happen is there's going to be a rabid, kooky fan in the stands that with Steve Buscemi, <laughs> who will have had Buscemi, by the way. Sorry, We've been Buscemi. saying it wrong for all these years. <laughs> who happened to have the only iPhone right where it was supposed to be. There was actually a, a Brady Bunch episode about this in which Greg was the team photographer, and he actually kept blowing up the picture to find out that, yes, the guy did step out of bounds based on his. Oh, oh. So believe me, it we've worked it out. It and by the way, all movies are essentially based on old Brady Bunch episodes. <laughs> so there's that you one run word. You through some yeah. of mine. And well, I'm pitching you can't play ball in the house. Mom said not to play ball in the house. Oh, yeah. That was Apollo 13. Oh, was that it? That was oh, that's right. <laughs> boys, boys, put that down. The difference is, put down that lunar module. The difference is when we make these jokes, nothing ever happens. But if you say replacement reps, someone would actually 
Actually, yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm late to the game. <laughs> someone, that's some, on the poster. Someone, that's on the poster. Oh, <laughs> I'm late for the game. Oh, that's so brilliant. You can't help it. But somebody has already pitched it, copyrighted yeah. it. It's already. It's, I believe it's already in development at Fox. All I want <laughs> is for the Hollywood Reporter to say, Nerdist Podcast proves Tom Hanks to star in Replacement Rats. <laughs> and you've actually just committed yourself. Hey, well, you know what? That that could spread like wildfire. That become a will, that, yeah. that become a viral thing. That's right. I've determined that you are the spirit animal of this podcast because if you look at the Venn diagram of the three of us, you fall perfectly in the center in the shaded region. Matt is obsessed with NASA. Ah. Jonah is obsessed with music. I am obsessed with. I'm probably going to hit you up about comedy uh, talking. Yeah. So you are the perfect center for for this podcast. Oh my God! Well this is like my wife's worst nightmare <laughs> <laughs> to talk about this stuff all day long. I'm reading in bed, and she reads these or this. Is what What are you reading now? Uh, but honey, it's this uh, theoretical possibility of uh, mining uh, helium three from the moon. And she says, are, "What are you insane? Can you not read a book?" Can you not read a novel? Well, you, you no, I, I said, I read this stuff for pleasure. What can yeah. I tell you? You need to hide your space books in a porn magazine. <laughs> no, honey, I'm reading pornography. No, no, oh, honey, this is just an old penthouse from 1977. <laughs> Whoa, they really get in there. <laughs> that was a different Lift off. <laughs> so, I, I first, I, I want to kind of talk But you're wearing the NASA, you got the oh, NASA I am. polo. Yeah, I got this at Which the really good. Johnson Space Now, Center. you know what, what, you know what that logo is called in the uh, NASA ease? I actually don't. Okay, there's two. There was two warring NASA logos. Like all companies that make a really bad decision, they decided, hey, let's update our logo. Sometime I'm going to say in the 80s or the 70s, where nothing good ever happened. Sure. And uh, there, and it just said NASA in like gold letters, yeah. right? Which was called the worm because the letters were sort of connected. So around NASA, they called that the worm, but they call that the classic Eisenhower era NASA thing with a circle and the and the delta, which is the the red part of it, they call that the meatball. These are the these are the things we found See, in our research that. <laughs> that went on for years and years for the mini space projects <laughs> I was really involved in. As a matter of fact, it was it was the title episode of the, it was the title for the second episode of From the Earth to the Moon, <laughs> the Worm and the Meatball. Uh, which, uh, See, you could have done that. We could actually we could have done it. That was the type of that was the the the. Uh, that was a series I was promoting. It's not just about space. It's about the people who work at NASA. And we have one that's about the whole public public affairs office. It's going to be fascinating. Well, while we're talking about the it, they're going to have to make pasta in space. They, they might have. They actually, they, I'm sure they freeze, you know, I'm sure you can probably is, eat yeah. that on, the, on, this, on yeah. this space station. What do we have tonight? Ah, it's worms and meatball night. <laughs> <laughs> mm, or boy. beef stroganoff. That's yeah, it. yeah. It's the only two people. In, a, in, a, in a, a bag you have to cut open with some scissors. Yeah. Did they ever give you the option of, hey, do you want to go up to the space station? No, no, they were no. That was before. Uh, uh, I mean, every 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 person in the press said, "Would would you go into space?" Sure, but no, they didn't offer that kind of stuff. That's actually when they, lo and behold, they were wasting time sending scientists and engineers oh, into space. What are they going to do? As, as opposed to smartatically celebrities, uh, they <laughs> didn't let us go. Actors but, and football players. That's all. This but then that one guy, Dennis Tito, went. You know, he was the he was the first bona fide tourist in space. Yeah. And with the name Dennis Tito, it all it sounds like he's a Russian astronaut. For yeah. Like 1963, uh, but he went up, and then after that, they were all going to say, uh, "Oh, you know, it's tour tourism in space is right around the corner." But I don't know. I, I know that Richard Branson is going to try to 
That's send barely space, though. Well, I agree. Yeah. And they'll okay. Now, I, don't, I, I hope a million. I hope he makes a billion dollars. Yeah, sure, off sure, of it, You know, because he, he needs higher. more. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think you're just going to go up. It's like a suborbital flight. Yeah. You'll go up. You'll be. You'll experience weightlessness. It's like being in a U2, I assume. Well, you know, you have, you know, it's kind of like being on a really fast marriage. I mean, you go up and then you come down. Yeah. And when you say experience weightless, you're not going to unbuckle your thing and right. float around the cabin. Because the cabin is about the size of, you know, Mazda Miata. You'll, yeah. you'll stay buckled. Uh, this is my understanding. You'll stay buckled in. You get to look out a window. And I guarantee that unless you take a massive amount of preparatory medication, <laughs> you will then vomit your guts out. You will just be so, so sick. Yeah. Because uh, it's having been in something much like that, um, if you don't take the medication, you get, you get really, really sick. Did you learn that the hard way? I did. <laughs> but I also learned about 50% of everybody who goes into space spends about 24 hours incredibly nauseous, like, like, as not as in I can't move my head, I have to keep my eyes closed. No, and that's fifty percent, regardless of how wow. of how you know uh, flight uh, experienced you are. Now, so that I mean, so anytime they go, I always say, how busy is that first day? Yeah, what do you got to do? Oh, we have the, the the busiest day of this all is the first day. We got to release this and put this together and figure out how to do this. Well, half that crew is, you know, half that crew is like, can you give me a minute, Skip? Can you just, can you just give me a minute here? Although I'm right there. I've got the checklist. I'm right there. Just give me a second. I'm going to blow some space chunks out of this capsule. Hey, by the way, hey, hurry up. Let's get this done because it's meatballs and uh, meatballs. And worms to Ooh, no, yeah. oh, can we just, the first night? Can, can I just, the first day just be a, a pajama day? Can we just? <laughs> yeah. uh, can, can, can today's first meal be some soda crackers? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to watch some Netflix. <laughs> yeah, let's to, uh, just watch the Earth go strap on the dark. couch. Give me a second here. <laughs> I um I got to work with uh, years ago, like I think around '98. I worked with a director named Joel Zwick. Mm. Who you worked with? Joel Zwick directed the pilot for Bosom Buddies. Then he went off the Trader and directed <laughs> directed the first season of a show. I think it was called It's a Living, Making yes. a Living, and Jillian, and Jillian and a few other people. Yeah, the waitresses mm -hmm. in the Bonaventure Hotel yep. uh, downtown. He went off to do that, and we worked with a bunch of different directors. And then we uh, he came back and directed the entire uh, second season of Bosom Buddies. Yes, Joel Zwick. Yeah, and he directed. Uh, uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding, too, the movie. Oh, he directed the movie? Yeah, yeah, oh. he directed the movie. I mean, a hilarious guy. We Look, needed he... a shooter. <laughs> <laughs> we need a shooter. Get Joe Zwick. <laughs> He'll shoot it. Sweet guy. The, when I, last time I saw him, he had, like, a mullet and these, like, hairy ape oh, arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the crew was afraid. He was very sweet, but if you crossed him, he'd be like, I'm going to come up to that fucking control room. And, like, he would, he would kind of have these moments. And then everyone was like, whoa. But... <laughs> Now, I'll tell you something about Joel. He started directing at La Mama, uh, off, off, if you know theater of the world, La Mama is like the cradle of off, off Broadway, you know, early 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, you know, interpretive dance and <laughs> poems in which, you know, plays that are just, one guy just screams the same line over and over again <laughs> while other people dance and pretend to be rivers. I mean, that's the type of plays that, uh, that he did there. And so he went from there. 
<laughs> we're from there to Laverne and Shirley. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect, perfect, uh, perfect trade. That explains Lenny and Squiggy. That actually explains. Well, you know, he was. I'm telling you, he's a he's a shooter. Joel is bald, by the way. Oh, he is now. Yes, okay. and I always say, bald, Joel, why don't why don't you wear a, a cap to hide the fact that you're bald? Because because then people would know I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, this is interesting. That's true. When I've been out at you know Arts <laughs> Deli and stuff like that. The guys who wear their ball caps indoors are all bald. Yeah. So yeah. You, all, you kind of put. There's a certain together. amount of understanding. Yeah, but only only Joel can get there with that reasoning. <laughs> we, we, you know, we made him. I made him regale me. What did you do with him? I did a sitcom in the in like '98. What was that? I was called guys guys like us on the UPN network, which I'm sure you know, which is thriving now. Jeez. Um, I remember remember the UPN network. Yeah, it was. I nice. kept trying to get them to come to my house and deliver packages. For <laughs> now, well, you don't and know. And they is. never did. It I, was so weird. I'm not convinced. Wait, what was it called? It was called Guys Like Us. It was just a simple, like, we did one season. I'm still not convinced that UPN wasn't a memory implant. And no, UPN had two logos. It, they did. Did it? it? The worm and the, <laughs> and, the, and the mountain. The mountain and the... the U, U, what was it? Why was it called UPN? United, the United Paramount. Paramount Network. The United Paramount Network. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah, and then, and then and then they kind of then they went away and kind of became the CW with the with the Warner with the WB network. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was some shifting. When but everyone went, Fox did it. Let's do it let's too. Do it. Yeah, and they, actually, they were trying to. Yeah. Do How it. hard that's is it? True. Oh, it's hard. All you got to do is slap some shows on the air. What was it called? <laughs> it's called Guys Like Us. And you did an entire season. We did a season. Like how many episodes? We did thirteen. Oh, okay, all we right. We did thirteen, but we, but Joel worked on the show. So they didn't pick up the back nine. We did not get the as back they used nine. To say. <laughs> when I was in TV, it was all of it. We're gonna get the back nine. We're gonna get the back nine. Jeez, we're gonna get the back. Oh, we got the call for the back nine. Yes. No, the UPN was really interesting because they they decided to do this five night a week of of primetime programming. And within six months, had completely backtracked on all of it. You're like, well, <laughs> got to stick with something. They what kept Malcolm and Eddie. But what channel was it on in L.A.? Thirteen. Oh, oh, okay. Dreaded oh. channel. 13. Same channel as Star Trek Voyager. Right? Yes, it was. Okay, that was the all right. Of the UPN and one network. of the ten o'clock news shows <laughs> yep. that is on. But we, we, I made Joel Zwick regale me with tales of bosom buddies because I watched, <laughs> oh, wow. I watched bosom buddies Jeez. first run. Oh my God! How old were you when bosom buddies was on? Maybe like ten or eleven. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I was. Uh, when was it? I was twenty. Five maybe twenty five twenty six yeah holy yeah. shit and Peter yeah. and when I was in college Scolari taught me how to juggle oh okay and so yeah uh, he taught me how to juggle too he yeah. loves it loves the juggling he still does it yeah um, but uh, Joel said you know we were talking about about you and the show and he said <laughs> Tom always had a theory and his theory about films was this he said you get one chance if you or he said you get three chances if the first one hits. Then you get three more chances. Like there was this weird algorithm of movies, and he, was, and he told, me the, told me the whole story about Splash. Oh my God! Yeah, I was I was like a kid, like taking notes, like uh huh. Go back to the last part, and then what was the thing about? Oh, it's it's, it's true. Yeah, we Joel would Joel Joel was right. I haven't talked to him for a while. I I have to admit, but we would check in every now and again, and you know, status of uh, status of the business. So yeah, he uh, we 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 would talk about that. And I, I was probably mouthing something that. You know, some agent something or told me like <laughs> told me like that. Yeah, but there was uh, so that was back when everybody made. There were a million movies about guys who can't get laid. Remember that <laughs> yeah. that era of motion pictures, and there were a ton of us who made all these all these movies. Um, the guy who can't get laid, right. and they were all set. <laughs> they were set in a ski resort, the uh, you know, or uh, you know, fish market, whatever it was. Is a guy who can't get laid. And uh, the CIA, <laughs> even, even back then, there's just all these like uh, kind of like 
relatively modestly budgeted comedy. Yeah, so we would talk about trying to just trying to figure out to, to maintain our place in the food chain of, uh, of Hollywood. See, so yeah, yeah, Joe would keep up with me throughout those early days. Because, you know, what happened to me was I got, we got fired. And I, you know, I sat around for a year thinking, oh, man, I used to be one of the bosom buddies. <laughs> you know? And Joel was off directing, you know, whatever the next thing came down the pike. What did he direct right after? Wish I was on It's a Living. Uh, I think they then changed the title to Making a Living. Believe it or not, they did that. It was called It's a Living when it started. <laughs> I swear to God, this is true. Classic this is, this is equal notes, to yeah. the, the worm in the meatball. <laughs> they started off called It's a Living, and then the executives at ABC said... We need to really boost this show. We mean, <laughs> I know. Let's change. Let's change the title to "Making a Living." Oh, that's yeah. a good. That's so, good. Just, they're good geniuses. Good they're all geniuses even back then. <laughs> yeah, but Joel, uh, I, we had we had adventures with Joel, man. We uh, uh, that was uh, that was a wild time when we did it on the lot at uh, Paramount. We were like the ugly stepchild of all the shows that were on because Taxi was there. And uh, Happy Days was in its 90th year, <laughs> and um, uh, Laverne and Shirley was still like they, they could. Laverne and Shirley could show their their empty living room of Shirley's Laverne and Shirley's <laughs> apartment and finish number seven in the top ten. <laughs> just just with, with one just, sweater with the L just, on that, that would that's, that's all they needed, and a boo boo kitty, and that you were right there. Boo boo kitty, and uh, and <laughs> and Mark and Mindy. Was on the was lighted right across the street from us, and we were on stage twenty five, the stage of death, where every <laughs> every show that had been on stage twenty five had been canceled after six, never got the back nine, disappeared after a season, wow. and we made it too. So we sort of like broke the hex, and then right after us, as a matter of fact, I think like the last week we were we were shooting there, uh, uh, Jim Burroughs. And the team from, uh, I don't know, I, maybe from Taxi, but were coming over, they were looking at the stage, stage 25, um, because they then built the Cheers set there, and that was a stage that Cheers ran on oh, wow. for the uh, 42 years of its yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So were it not for uh, Bosom Buddies, me and Peter Scolari breaking the hex of stage there 25. You, you guys did it. Uh, Ted Danson would not be on Kelsey I don't think, where would you be? I don't think anyone would argue that Cheers was built directly on the back of Bosom Buddies. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is what I'm taking to my grave. Yeah. <laughs> they, saw, they saw our cheesy little squared off coffee, coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's blow out these walls and make the biggest bar in, in the history yeah. of the world. So you're too nice. It, 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 a person in your position should call Jim Burroughs and go, Jim, it's time. Listen, <laughs> I think it's clear that you owe me a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, well, here's how sad I was. I actually would watch Cheers live with a, a misty-eyed sense of nostalgia. Oh, that's, that's stage 25. That's where, that's where we put on the dresses. Well, I know where that is. The stairs leading up to stage right lead up to the dressing room. The size of Cheers is even funnier when you go to the real Cheers in Boston, because it's an old pub from, like, the 1700s. It's about, what, 700 it's, The ceiling feet. is about five and a half feet. You know, yeah. TV is, I, I don't want to bring this to you, but TV is all fake. No, 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 Todd. No, Todd. No. But None movies are still real, real guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, movies okay, are okay, movies okay, are okay. like uh, we go to the real places and shoot real things. <laughs> Remember that time you turned from a kid into a grown up? Yeah, that was real. <laughs> that was real. Okay, I'll tell you this is like a surreal moment in in life. Okay, uh, Big had come out and um, it was the Academy Awards that year, and I was backstage waiting to do something, be told to do something, and I swear to God. Frederico Fellini <laughs> was sitting across the couch from me. 
Frederico Fellini and I are in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have I have never felt more like a stupid doof in my life because I don't know what to say and thank God a lot of people were moving around because I never would have known and Frederico Fellini says to me he leans over and he says to me you got big <laughs> <laughs> oh my God meaning I was a kid but I got sure. big yeah, yeah. so I was oh my holy smokes man that was a high country there. Hey, that was a high cut. Satyricon, right? That's right. Yeah. Hey, how about that eight and a half? You know what you should do? You do ten and a half. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, how about you and I do ten and a half? You know what I'm saying? Fellini. You add two. Bosom buddies. <laughs> ah, you want to do the feature film? Crazy, man. But it is interesting to see, uh, you know, you, you did kind of make that. Not a lot of TV people were crossing over into film at that time because it was still a. I think the businesses were very compartmentalized. It was like you're either TV. Yeah, there was that. Or yeah, and that's not the case anymore. Good work now just begets good work. But um, uh, I, I I tried to get a couple of other jobs that just didn't pan out. So I mean, I got you know I signed a couple of contracts and tried to develop you know TV shows and. None of, none of them were any good. So uh, I was I was like unemployed for a couple of years. The only jobs I had was um, uh, I, I actually did an episode of Happy Days, on which I was the only guy to uh, I kicked the Fonz through the plate glass window at Arnold's, you bastard. which evidently and everybody bucket you know, list. You know, you're, you're the first guy to hit the Fonz. You know? <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah. Wow, great. And, and then I did. Uh, then I was. Uh, then uh, um, uh, I did uh, Family Ties. Yeah. Oh. They, they called me up and said, "Hey, would you like to do?" Something? And they, it was like an offer, which never happened. It's like, "Want to come on and do some Family Ties?" Oh, geez, yeah, sure. You'd make a so, good drunk, Tom. Come on. Uh, so I went on and uh, was uh, I was uh, Michael J. Fox's uh, Uncle Ned and uh, Tina Yother's Uncle Ned. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how we'll always remember. And then I, then I did, then I did another one the following year, and Ronnie Howard yelled at me for doing, for going back. We had, we had by that time we had done uh, Splash, and he said, "Come here, I want to talk to you." We were, uh, we were, at, we were at something. Now I, I hear that you're going back. You're going to do it. Now you can't do it. You can't do it. You know, you got He was trying to protect his movie, and I was like, "Dude, they called up. I did it." I said, "What's the deal? It's just, uh, it's just, ah, nah, nah. It's uh, time. You got to, you know, you got to declare. You got to declare yourself here." You gotta say no. I make a joke. So, but I actually I needed the kind of needed the gig and needed the money. So, but back then, yeah, it's true. There was a, there was a kind of a separation. But I was no longer working in TV, so officially I was just an actor. So, <laughs> yeah, therefore, those, I. Rated. But those movies <clears throat> where you where you had like really great TV writers like going, you know, like you had Splash and then and then, and then but then also movies like Night Shift, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which really like those comedies were so, and then ended up, you know, like really kind of defining the early 80s comedy. They really did. Well, look, I have to, I will probably credit, um, I mean, the whole era was sort of framed because, like, um, uh, uh, excuse, uh, I'm going to... Babalu Mandel? No, well, Bob, Bob, Babalu Mandel and, and uh, Lowell Gans, but when Bill Murray went off and did, the, like, movies like Stripes and whatnot, it, it, it made a certain type of comedy, like, really box office -y. I mean, they... I mean, think about it. Prior to that, what were comedies? It was all like, you know, Neil Simon's California Suite and stuff like that. So when Saturday Night Live, people from Saturday Night Live went off and made successful comedies, and I'd probably give, you know, it was probably Bill Murray was a granddad of all that stuff. 
stripes and a few of the few of meatballs, you know, yep. to get back on the theme of tonight's <laughs> podcast, <laughs> which, is, which, are, which is meatballs. <laughs> um, then uh, all the studios just got in. Uh, and uh, actually, Animal House was another. Of course, that was that was the most profitable and successful com- comedy of all time. Yeah. So then all of a sudden just became part of the, the, the what is it, the economic, economic business model of Hollywood. Let's get a bunch of cheap comedies out there, relatively cheap comedies. And, uh, you know, and, they'll, and they'll, some of them, some of them st- stuck. But when you're, you know, it is the sort of the path that you ended up ultimately going down. Is any of that in the plan or in your mind? Oh, you... Hell, hell no. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, I was like, pitch, just understand. You know, you ever get up at night and it's like pitch dark and all you know, all you know is your, 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 your throat is on fire and you got to get a glass of water mm-hmm. and you don't turn on any lights and so you just stumble, you just jump out of bed and you run as fast as you can mm-hmm. into the bath. That's what, that's what my career was. It was a dark, <laughs> it was a dark house. <laughs> I, I was stubbing my toe left and right, but I had to get some water because my throat was on fire. That was, that, was, that was it. I never know. I just, you know, took a long, took it for a while there. I took every job that came down the pike, you know, just, you know, I was a racehorse. A thirsty, <laughs> thirsty, desperate, desperate racehorse. What were some of the movies that you would have not taken in, de- like, if you were in desperate? What do you mean? I'm sorry. Like, like, are there any movies where you're like, you're like, oh, if I wasn't like just looking for the next gig, I probably would have passed on it or anything like that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 you know that requires too much wisdom. Which uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I look. It, it was it was a it was a. It was a wild, fabulous time. It was a great ride. I will, I will admit, I did not. I probably did not get tired. <laughs> I mean, literally, like physically beat until um, uh, right after I made this movie with uh, John Patrick Shanley called Joe versus Volcano. Yeah, yeah. With my first movie with Meg Ryan, uh, which was a fabulous experience every step of the way, and is a bodacious movie for yeah, you know great. a big percentage of it. They, it was really a, 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 actually I stole a line from it. He had Lloyd John Patrick Shanley wrote wrote this line for Lloyd Bridges, who I had a long scene with, and Lloyd Bridges is like, and man, <clears throat> when you're doing that. But man, you're in the high country. So I actually I think I just said that earlier in this podcast. So I still use it. But when that movie was over, I had I had probably made uh, I think maybe twelve movies almost back to back, and I, I was I was exhausted. Yeah. And I kind of like uh, I probably went down for as long as I can, and then 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 you literally you just you just you just pick them a little bit. Yeah. Actually, the movies became much more involving. You know, they were. Uh, they took longer to do, and they were. And by that time, I, I, I probably felt as though I had a, a bit of a better understanding of just what my 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 process was. <laughs> you know, the research that you had to do, and and the work that you had to do in conjunction with everything. So you're about you're about that's about ten years in. Too. I had a run there, man, where I made a ton a ton of movies, and my joke is, and, and two of them were pretty good. <laughs> well, but maybe three. Three of them were pretty good. But because I'm I'm always interested in the idea of like how long it takes a performer, whether it's a you know comedian or a writer or an actor or whatever. To go from that place where you're like a young, hungry kid to sort of like, okay, I know who I am now, and I, I see, I have a better view of Man, everything. for me, it was just totally age-based, you know, because it all started when I was in my 20s, and, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I, by the time I was about 31, 32, I think, I, actually, I'll tell you this, okay, I know this for a fact, because my 27th birthday was celebrated in 
in the, in the Bahamas uh, on the final day of shooting for Splash. So they quickly rigged the wrap cake, you know, that celebrates Aww. the end of shooting. <laughs> they, they essentially, they took like a tube of toothpaste and wrote, happy birthday, Tom, on the same cake. So that was my 27th birthday. So from, from 27 to about 32, maybe 33, man, I just, I just, I just, uh, I went berserk. Yeah. It was well, like every day was a double header. But Spl- Splash was Splash was a hit, and Bachelor Party yeah, yeah, was yeah. a hit. But and Bachelor Party was a hit. But yeah. big, but big was like, oh, that's a whole other kind. I mean, that yeah. movie was in the theater for like two and a half months. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it played it a long. Yeah, yeah, that was probably it. And I think I think that was my ninth movie. Wow, big was. Does that make sense? Yeah, ninth. And I think Joe versus Volcano was my. 12th to 13th. <laughs> so I, I, I continued the, uh, the uh, quote-unquote hot streak there of uh, doing anything. <laughs> well, is there, is there catering? Am I going to wear a costume? When does it start? Tuesday? I'm there. Let's go. But I'm, I mean, you know, because even so, you know, again, just the way that the industry kind of compartmentalizes people and puts them in boxes, you know, it's pretty much, it's all comedies at that point and a lot of kind of slapsticky comedies. So how do you go from... How did, where, where's the turning point between that and like, okay, Philadelphia? Well, like, like, well, yeah, I got very lucky because Penny Marshall, who directed Big, uh, and it landed, you know, it kind of like landed because it fell out of financing a couple of times. And when it came back around to me, Penny was Penny was hell bent on the theme of what the movie was. So she was saying she had faith that I could get there along with her. So it wasn't just about jokes. I, you know, look, I started off in classical repertory theater, so I, you know, I, I wanted to always wanted to play Iago and stuff like that. I did, you know, very straight Shakespearean tragedies and stuff like that. <clears throat> but what, what, had, what, had, what had sold for me was the things that I had learned with Joel Zwick on Bosom Buddies, which is this thing is thrown on your desk on Monday morning, and you've got to sell every one of those friggin' jokes and not, you've got a scar. So, uh, you know, that's what I, I, I got a scar! <laughs> So that, that's what I did, and by the time I got to work with Penny on that, and that, and and uh, and also prior to that with Sally Field um, and David Seltzer's punchline, punchline. Uh, it was that was not a matter of scoring anymore. We were now dealing with you know more more serious themes. I must say my fifth movie, and I only remember the the order of the early ones because once you get <laughs> once you get past once you get into double digits, I don't know what number the movie was. <laughs> but my fifth movie was nothing in common with Gary Marshall. Yes, and that was that. You know, they had themes about fathers and sons and stuff like that. Jackie so, Gleason. Jackie Gleason. So I had I had a, I had by that time a taste and experience of aiming beyond just selling the thing. I worked with really talented people from Second City who were the staff in the advertising agency. Um, so the, yeah, you get to this point where you're now you know, you're now part of the filmmaking process. Uh, not every director says, "Come on and let's talk about what we're going to do." It by that point, Pity was saying, oh, "You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to love her." You know, <laughs> she's not some fake girl. She's not a fake. You're gonna have to love a little bunny. I'm sorry, Penny. I couldn't. I didn't get that last part. What no, that last I didn't either. I'm just literally imitating the sounds I heard. <laughs> right, right, not, right. not, not what Penny. What are you? Said. We're all just standing here. Penny just wrote a book, by the way. It was something called "Suddenly My Mother Was Nuts" or something like that. Penny just wrote yeah, a book. Yeah, the font which, really small. Uh, <laughs> it just trails off. Yeah. But I, here's what you should do: eat it with some crackers in your mouth. <laughs> 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 I said, I just said I went and did the odd couple with Jack Clark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine. 
secretary. <laughs> Actually, I, I played his secretary. That's the way. I have a Penny Marshall translator app. Gives you hold it up. Hold on, it's like You know what's interesting? Penny Marshall frontwards and backwards says the same thing. <laughs> because when you I'm going to try to shoot out my plan. And he did the backwards, and it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the way it sounds. You heard the Penny Marshall. I want to try to shoot in Rye Playland. That's what, uh, that's what she said. I, I, I podcasted Larry King yesterday, and I was on his set, and there was a glass in front of me with lipstick on it. And I was like, what was this? And he was like, ah, that was Penny Marshall. She was, I just had her. And I was like, oh my God, if I drink from this, it's almost like I'm yeah, making out yeah, with Penny yeah, Marshall. Yeah. That's a story. That's a story right there. Why wouldn't I? And also something about the hygiene around the new, yeah. new Larry <laughs> King. New Larry King. Yeah, the King kid that cleared the glasses. Uh, I just like to think that it's like... I'm just saying disposable cups, maybe? <laughs> I like to think that Penny just lives in the walls. Like, oh, it's Penny again. She's put her mouth on something. She hasn't Don't been here for it. years, but the lipstick shows up on the glass <laughs> oh, God. every Tuesday. Yeah, I, I said Penny is... Uh, man, she, I, I love... She, she reclaimed me a couple of times. I mean, Big, Big was really a... I mean, I got the nomination for that, and it was huge. And it made a that was a big the big deal about that. It made a hundred million dollars over the course of the entire summer. It squeaked. Wow! It opened in June. You remember this kind of stuff? It opened in June on the uh, incredible sum of like eight hundred screens, which at the time was like that's insane. <laughs> eight hundred now movies open up on thirty five thousand yeah. screens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it opened in June, and it just kept doing business. So that by the time we actually, the first time I ever went to Venice for the Venice Film Festival in Venice, Italy, which is, you know, a big deal for, you know, a kid from Oakland, California. They had, we had a, a, a cake that said, congratulations, $100 million. It was a big deal for a movie to make $100 yeah, million dollars then. People but, give you a lot we, of cakes. But we way. had, I know. And it was a tasty cake. And we had it on, we had it on what I call the, the, uh, uh, like the 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 uh, what I say what was it like the Hitler Terrace of uh, Venice you know oh right <laughs> uh, when you, when you go off to film festivals you always stay in hotels where Hitler went you know <laughs> and he stood right here on this terrace and so we had we had a cake that said a hundred million dollars on it but we were still only at like ninety seven point eight million so oh. they were they were fudging the numbers even back with then. actual fudge with, yes <laughs> with delicious Italian chocolate fudge cake what do you think. Josh Baskin ended up being like as a grown-up. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a, okay. Let's play fan did, did, fiction. Did he, did he, let's play fan fiction, uh, and then we'll put him in sexy situations. Well, that, let's see how old. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he grew up to be a. Uh, 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 very poorly respected uh, dental hygienist. <laughs> his, kids With his kids don't care for him. And lo and behold, what happens sure, to him yeah, is yeah. the NFL replacements <laughs> are called for. He, he, he tried to, he tried to bond with his kid by, by refereeing the local football. You're Pee-wee, making jokes, but this football. is brilliant. <laughs> this kind a of a weird idea, sequel. man. It's a good idea. But I'm telling you, Fox already has it in development. <laughs> I'm telling I lo- you right now. I like the idea that that whole experience actually screwed up the rest of his life because he always thought, no, no. Don't always be a kid, but then at a certain point, it's like you kind of got to be a grown. Okay, so here's something interesting. Um, years ago, when when Bob Zemeckis and I were shooting Castaway in Memphis, we um, uh, contacted, or maybe he called Michael Connor Humphreys. You know that name, Michael Connor no. Humphreys. Michael Connor Humphreys played Young Forrest, the little Forrest Gump, oh, yeah. the little kid where he's running and the yep. and the and the braces fall off. And so we hadn't seen him since we had made the movie. And in your mind's eye, he's still essentially a seven-year-old kid. And in walked this gorgeous bohunk of a guy who was now out of high school. 
And uh, we had a we had a really nice like forty minute conversation where the three of us just sat. You know, it's, it, it was for him. It was a huge experience off to make that movie, and yeah. for all of us. And so we had a very nice kind of like go around. We didn't talk about the movie much. We just about how we were doing. That. He was a really great guy, and uh, without absolutely no sheen of. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of stuff can go awry with a kid actor who's in a movie. Sure. Uh, but he had a great life, and he was very happy, uh, and he was going off. And then, just last week, I was at this thing with a bunch of uh, veterans, and I came across a guy with a, uh, a 101st Airborne patch on his shoulder. I said, oh, hey, 101st, puke and buzzard, screaming eagle, the whole bit. So we share something, and he says, hey, i got to tell you, my, uh, I was uh, Michael uh, Humphrey's uh, commanding officer. He was in the 101st Airborne and oh was in God. Afghanistan. Oh, and he's, wow. I believe he's back now. He's oh, good. good. So how, how's that for you know a perspective on life that yeah. you know, goes beyond anything like that, anything like that? That was that was pretty impressive. Well, that must be you know like especially because of the types of uh, because of the types of projects that you produce and, and, and are involved in. It, it must give you a nice perspective. I'm like, oh yeah, all the pretend acting stuff we do is really not the most important things in the world. When you're looking at NASA and and war, yeah, and, yeah, people know. people were people truly risk their lives and uh, do things. Yeah, yeah. But 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 is it, does it, do you feel like that that kind of deep dive is something that's because sort of, you're a very you seem like a very grounded, just like you know. I mean, they're all the legendary stories of like Tom Hanks is the nicest guy you can ever meet, but. There must be some sort Shakes of a, no? Mm. <laughs> you bet. Except for the people I fired. Ask <laughs> oh. them. No. <laughs> well, the 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 job. Look, I have to say the job is so is so fun. And every time I go off and see something that blows me away, all I am is an audience member. That's all. You know, some new thing that's like on on TV. Like um, okay. Uh, like I was so happy for Damian Lewis. He just won. Yeah, for Homeland. For Homeland. Damian Lewis played Richard Winters in Band. Of Brothers. He was like the star of Band of Brothers, and uh, they, they, he was. We had we had every future British star was in Band of Brothers. Yes. I can literally <laughs> go off and name them. And I've come across some guys like Jude Law. I said, Jude, why weren't you in Band of Brothers? You wouldn't hire me in Band. Of Brothers. <laughs> I didn't get past the. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I wasn't responsible for all the casting. <laughs> uh, but you know, the the, the, the you, you you can never discount how important the bond is between the audience and the project. I mean, people see this and they really do invest the same brand of heart and what have you. That you, if you're lucky enough, you we get to as the as the as the folks who make them. So uh, it's it's a it's a business. It's it's work to be taken serious, very seriously in a business that is just worthy of skewering every chance <laughs> every yeah. chance you get. It's just the goofiest business. Business on the planet. It's high school with ashtrays. I mean, <laughs> oh, no, not that, not as many ashtrays. Yeah, yeah. I know, that's what we used to call junior college. I went to junior college for two years. Chabot Junior College says, "Hey, how's college going? How's college going? It's high school with ashtrays. That's all it is. You get to smoke in class, and people did. You know, had professors who would smoke in class back then. My college is great. My friend was the thirteenth grade. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very true. Do you ever, you know, when it, when you kind of get into a point where it's like. You know, big hit after big hit, and you know you're you're do it's uh, you know Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, and they're and you're just knocking them out of the park. Do you get, do you have that artist thing of superstitious at all? Of like, d does it kind of screw with your head, or how do you how do you kind of maintain your balance? Uh, I, I look honestly, it takes a while because you think you know you think you're gonna if for a while there you're MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Can't touch this. And the, yeah, and then you know next summer. 
you're MC Hammer. You're just Hammer. God bless that guy, without a doubt. You know, it's a, it, that's what the vagaries are, and you have to be prepared for it. And so the work has to be the, the quality of the work you do has to be the most important because nothing will ever sustain. And you will pour yourself into stuff that ends up not doing anything, and you'll pour yourself into stuff that, that does okay. Like I, I did a movie, <clears throat> the uh, uh, Larry Crown, which came out a few years ago, and uh, man, worked. Loved every day working on it, worked really hard, blah, blah, blah. It came out, did absolutely no business whatsoever. Um, but that doesn't diminish what I think was the power of it and the, and the connection that we had to it. And I got to tell you, I, I get letters, I get letters almost every day regarding almost every movie I've ever made. <laughs> Going back to Dear, Dear Mr. Hanks. I was laid up the other day and I watched some of Turner and Hooch. <laughs> you still you talk know, to Hooch? I don't. I, I sure Hooch is dead by now, but and I'm not one to cry in movies. But when I saw that, I gotta say, it reminded me and my dog that I, you know, and, and they all react to things. And Larry Crown, even a movie like Larry Crown, I get letters right now that say, "Dear Mr. Hanks." I had I had some rever re reversals of fortune lately. <laughs> <laughs> and I was feeling very down. I was depressed, but I decided to much. I then I saw your film, and I signed up for classes at the local college, and I met a very nice girl. And right now, I'm I'm I have a very nice job working in the food service industry. And so you hear this kind of also stuff, George and Takei is and my man. It's a, it's like it's like vox populi. It's like you know the people speak over the long haul. But but the, the the people that go berserk is everybody that you know that represents you and works for you. You know they they think that. Uh, they think that the that gravy train is just going to keep on and running, and uh, eventually you come up and you you know you, you just do a movie and everybody says, hmm, okay. So uh, <laughs> here's the other here's the other thing that, that is very that, very interesting. I worked in uh, I was in working in Europe almost all last year, uh, just by happenstance, and there's a huge difference between uh, this is a big difference between people who walk up to you in Europe and people who walk up to you in the United States, and even the press. In the United States, all they want to talk about is the hits. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, they will still talk to me about, so did you know in making Toy Story, Toy Story, you know, you know, Forrest Gump this, or blah, 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 when you go over to Europe, they mention the most obscure films you've ever made. <laughs> Mr. Hanks, your film, Terminal, this was me, this was me. <laughs> I was the story of Tournament. Oh, you were trapped in an you airport? Make, you make my story. You make my story. And they will mention like the stuff that, you know, it never really saw the light of day. Oh, Mr. Heinz, I must tell you that here in Germany, we, we very much appreciate your film Bonfire of the Vantities. We found it to be a very funny, very funny look at the greed of an... So you have no idea how things are I really are thought play. the Germans were going to be into the burbs. Uh, well, like you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you get those. Uh, I was at, uh, we, my wife and I were on our, actually we were on our, our honeymoon, and we were driving uh, from, uh, this first time we went, we rented a car, we were in Europe. We drove from Paris, France. She drove out of Paris, by the way, because I wasn't about to tackle that. Yeah. that you ever, you see, ever see that, you that roundabout around the Arc de Triomphe? My wife that. navigated that. <laughs> and I was petrified every step of the way, but she wanted to go over to this dress designer's place. And so anyway, so we drove, and we were in Italy, and we stopped at, uh, all the food in Italy is great. So you stop at the auto route, and they have, like, the, their version of a Howard Johnson's is actually like a four-star Italian restaurant. Right. <laughs> everything is homemade. It's, it's all fantastic. It's and great. nut logs. And so I'm, we're in there somewhere between uh, Milan and Rome, and I'm 
hitting up the greatest lasagna and stuff. And it happens to be the Puerto Rican national baseball team oh. is touring Italy for some reason. And I'm pouring some stuff. And he, hey, Tom Hanks, you're so, you're so funny in the bachelor party, man. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> we, saw the, we saw this, and we see this on the bus, the bachelor party. You're so funny. Yeah, so I'm doing like, bachelor party. Okay, fine. Nothing ever dies. <laughs> Nothing ever dies. And they hold up the mixer. Yeah, they do the whole thing. Oh, my yeah. God. They kind of crying. There is they love it. When, the, when that donkey died, that's so funny. <laughs> I mean, of all, of all people in the world, you know, like a lot of people have like one project that people like shout lines from, but you have so many movies that people can just be like, I've made few sequels. That's the only thing. <laughs> they just they shout. I mean, it must it must be like a nonstop. They quote the movie, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is no lie. This happened just on Sunday night. I happened to watch or Monday night. When did when did the Packers play the Seahawks? Last night. Okay, last night. Uh, my wife and I were going, and we're having people over, so we just had a little bit of the game beginning, and I got such a ridiculous, stupid, silly thrill out of this moment. I never should have. I should be beyond this. I'm 56 years old, for God's sake. <laughs> but they, they did a, a pan of the screaming Seattle Seahawks fans, and they're all wearing goofy football helmets and stuff like that. And I see a dude with a fake wig, a big beard, dressed in rags, <laughs> holding a Wilson bottle. <laughs> <laughs> And I was upstairs, I was upstairs, I said, baby, honey, oh, you missed it. I was so excited that some dude went to the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks football game, dressed up as Chuck Nolan from Castaway. I said, I said, what does this have to do with beating the Packers? I do not understand, but I, I, man, I, my hat is on that guy. He, he, made, could have been he a, made my night. He feels like his team is trapped on an island. Maybe that's yeah, it. Yeah. That's right. There could have been a lot more Chuck Nolans after he got off the island. You wouldn't know. You never know. But what that dude was doing with it, it's like it's like kind of like seeing your name in the paper. He's like, hey, look, oh, yeah. that guy couldn't have dreamed. I mean, his ultimate dream would be, I hope Tom Hanks sees this. Well, yeah. there's no way you can go on YouTube and like enter in uh, Packers, Seahawks, stands, Wilson volleyball. You won't be able to find it anywhere. But it was, uh, was you know, somebody taped the game, you know, posted on YouTube. So I can have it and show my granddaughter. See, your dad used to be big. See, he used to be my, your grandpa used to be a big guy. See, there's a guy dressed up as one of his characters at a Seattle, Seattle Seahawks football game. Daddy, that's a homeless man. No, no, no. That's based on on intellectual property that me and Bob Zemeckis are. You could take her volleyball player on Venice Beach. You could take her to Disneyland and go to the toy Story ride, but instead you show no, that's a, that's just some big goofy cowboy, you know, that doesn't really speak. No, I gotta show her that. Yeah, I gotta show her how it entered into the national consciousness. Yeah. Look at these flowcharts. Look at the spreadsheet. Did you know what zeitgeist means? That's me. That's me. That's me. Did you ever do? Did you ever do stand up before? Or did you? Did was no, it, no. I had so no. So when you did punchline, no, I didn't have the courage to do stand up. I only did it armed with the celebrity of getting ready to do punchline. Punchline is one of those movies that I mean, just from being a comic. For some, it it still resonates with me, and I still go back to those because I think it had some of those moments that sort of every comic fears, where you're having a meltdown on stage, and it's like, (laughs) and your dad's in the audience, and he's disappointed in you, and you're bombing, like just those those moments. Ever happened? No. Well, yes. Something like that. Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, it did. Uh, When I first started doing stand, oh, you found it! Oh, you found it! It is there. (laughs) That's a Wilson meme. 
has begun in Seattle. Oh my God! Now this this was on TV for probably 1.8 seconds, <laughs> and then I happened to see. Now that dude right there thrilled oh, me man. to no end. Now, Look what at I'm, him. Okay, here's here's my guess. Just kind of being internety. I, it said that this is a meme in Seattle, so I think what's happening is a lot of people are actually doing this and trying to be photographed. <laughs> that it's yeah. actually a meme. Wilson meme. There it Seattle. is. At the beginning of the Monday Night Football match between Green Bay Packers and Seattle, a shot of the crowd reveal a new meme that we're really, really, really hoping doesn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not? Who said Zeitgeist? I yeah, believe yeah, it was yeah. you. Let's call this guy Bill Hanstock. You, Bill, it's Tom Hanks. You what see, the, the quarterback for the Seahawks is named Russell Wilson and well and oh. right because it's the same surname as the beloved volleyball from that film. Sure can. All right, who wrote who wrote this? That's uh, that's that's SB Bill Hanstock. Nation. Bill Hanstock. Bill Hans- Curse you, Bill Hanstock. Uh, I hope this takes over the world. <laughs> that's a, that's another. There's another kind of meme thing that's happening with you too. Is the uh, putting the period next to the T on a, a garbage? Oh thing, yeah, the yeah. T Hanks, and then also yeah. Hanksy. Which is the, uh, the oh the artist yeah, yeah the yes. Banksy, uh, Banksy parodies involved the anonymous in street gorilla artist yes. I like to yeah. gorilla street artist as I like to say <laughs> have yeah. you seen any of those the Han- Hanksy I've not seen the Hanksy they're great they're just they're like they're like Banksy but they're all like always something more pop culture and dealing with time you seem pretty uh, you seem pretty digital you're on the Twitter it's up to you do you do you, do you oh yeah I, I like I, I tweet like once every ten days <laughs> but when you do dull <laughs> well I you know I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tweet like just chilling with a cup of tea. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, not going to tweet that. Bob Zemeckis just ate all the chips. Man, yeah, that's so right. like him. You, mm, you know what I love? Wheat thins and Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't tweet that, although it's pretty good snack. So I wait in order to have something. Yeah. Try to do it. Do you, uh, do you ever, ha- how do you get comfortable with everything? I mean, like, it just, I, I have this idea that, when people fail more than they're used to or they succeed more than they're used to, they kind of get anxious, like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. how do you... How I do you- would, look, all I, say, I was really, 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 really fortunate because the TV show was uh, Bosom Buddies. This yep. was a complete also-ran of a TV show, although... I think we had like an like a sometimes we had like an eighteen share a twenty two oh, share wow. which if you had wow. now you would be, you would we, would be, we would be as big as American Idol for God's <laughs> sake but we were on opposite um, uh, Magnum PI Tom mm-hmm. Selleck <laughs> so so Peter and I are on TV right we got we have this TV show Magnum PI has not even premiered yet. And Tom Selleck is on the cover of TV Guide, which is like, uh, wait, this guy's not even on the show yet. And then, of course, he came on and he absolutely creamed us. So I was very lucky because I was I was working in like quote unquote big time show business, but nothing, you know, I wasn't I was I'd get recognized every now and again at the you know baggage carousel, you know, at the Burbank Airport, uh, and it was only a matter of you know kept kept working for a long time, and every time uh, something happened, it was always. A, there was always a bigger story attached, like on uh, with Splash, you know, the, the movie was such a huge success, and Daryl was so gorgeous. It was all about Daryl, really. I was a guy in the movie. And Bachelor Party, <laughs> Bachelor Party was just like, it was like a ripoff of, of their successful, uh, you know, <laughs> um, get them get laid comedy. So that was, that was poo-pooed. So I did not, I did not have a, um, you know, an overnight thrusting into a public eye. Uh, you know, I never had anybody, no, no studio or network just said, we're going to build a whole campaign around you. And that never happened. It just sort of like gradually went on. And so I never had to 
uh, luckily deal with something that is really incredibly unhealthy, which is the you know an immediate attention of the white hot. Well, that's all, that's, all, that's, a, that's all our culture is about now. That's exactly right. Okay, all right. So I'm I I drive down. I drive past a a, a preschool in, in our neighborhood, and lately I've been driving past, and there I swear to God there are 22. Uh, paparazzi guys and they all look the same they all look like thugs <laughs> they're all in shorts and they all have those big sports lenders and they're hanging out in front of something like you know the crazy clown day school trying to get a picture of somebody's just dropping off their kid which I think is kind of criminal I mean it puts the puts the kid at danger and is, isn't healthy for anybody but yeah now it's now it's the now it's the coin of the realm but it's not it's not as expensive a coin as it used to be. It's, it's a volume business oh, wait. it's a volume business you'd you be a good person as with it how how is how is the paparazzi thing okay? Like those pictures, like the footage that they got of Kate Middleton. Oh, I, how is that? Like if I just took a camera and stood outside someone's window and started taking pictures, I would get arrested. How is it okay if those people are famous? I don't think I'm allowed to say because I'm a celebrity, but I think they should. I think they should. I think it is criminal. I think it's yeah. ridiculous. It's kind of a weird. There were the way you know. It's okay, a freedom of the press thing. I kind of get it, but I don't see how the pretty girl who's on the new show about you know vampires and cops uh, taking her daughter off to get new. Sh I don't see how that's news, yeah. <laughs> and yet it's uh, to me it's it's this far away from from really uh, 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 a, 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 what's the word, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's a malevolence to it. I think it's like a malevolent kind of stalking. Well, I and, think, but there's yeah, money to yeah. be made. But there's, there's an interesting kind of, um, I've noticed that, that I th I've, what I feel like they do is you know, they take people who are really famous who would never do a reality show and they create print reality shows out of these people. <laughs> like entire, like just these narratives to their lives, which probably isn't true just because People crave so much of that. Well, now people kind of dig it too. It's like now it's like a badge of honor to uh, do byplay with like TMZ or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's real, so weird. Real badge of honor. There. It's so weird though. You'll see someone that they're on a reality show because they're not famous. They, they're just this normal person that has an extraordinary life, maybe. And then they make a series about them that's just their life that is a little bit, you know, constructed, maybe. Then they go on a talk show to say, "Oh, this new season's really good. The new season of your life." <laughs> <laughs> Like how, like yeah, we do some really exciting things yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, I had a birthday again. Uh, <laughs> but I had a disagreement with my mom. Yeah, so. You wait till you see that. Scene. Yeah, it's, it's like, and that's the, and it's making all these people think that's the way. I gotta life believe. Is you gotta believe the producers say, "Okay, ladies, 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 everybody's lip gloss in place. Your hair looks." Beautiful. Of course they do. Uh, all right, uh, we want you to go to this restaurant and please don't get along. <laughs> Just go to this restaurant and bring up stuff about each other but that we're doing pisses great. each other's off. Come up with no something. No one wants to see that. Yeah. Please, I'm falling asleep yeah. over here. Well, I yeah. think, I, so, uh, you know, what I really saw happen just in the span of, you know, since reality television's been popular since, like, 91, when the real world came around. Oh, yeah, yeah, Is yeah. Uh, is is people really weren't accustomed to having cameras filming their everyday life, so they acted normal. Yeah, they are. And then the producers created, just having known a bunch of people who worked on the real world, they would always watch the first episode and go... That's not how that happened. You <laughs> married something that happened months later and put a voiceover that was never about the, and they yeah. would they, and the producer said, "We never said this was real. It's a reality-based soap opera." And so they're creating characters all in post and then yeah. a whole generation of kids yeah. watches that and goes, in "Situation." Oh, the like they took the most ridiculous moments, but then kids go, "Oh, I have to be ridiculous to be on television." And then they do it on purpose. Okay, all right. You're absolutely right, but that being said, there are three fabulous reality 
TV shows that <laughs> I watch as regularly as I can. Do tell. Number one, Deadliest Catch. Okay. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, there's yeah. not a man in the yeah. world who doesn't feel like the biggest pussy on the planet <laughs> when he watches Deadliest Catch. Because I'm telling you right now, by and large, I see anything on TV, I think I could do that. You know, yeah. I could kick a field goal like that. I could do that. There's no way I could survive on one of those boats out pulling no, that stuff no. out. I would be weeping. I'd have a hook through my hand. <laughs> I would have bonked my head a crab on, on your something. face, uh, eating your eye. I would have been, I would, I'd be the greenhorn that they can't get off the boat. <laughs> I just hate wet socks. Enough. <laughs> There you go. I just hate wet, wet and cold and Ugh, sleepy all friggin' day for like, uh, there's only 11 days in the crabby season. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're on the boat. Boom, boom, boom. Couldn't do that show. I like seafood, so I wouldn't have fun. No. Mythbusters. Amazing. Adore Mythbusters Fantastic. because it's actual science and physics. Proven, and I must say, the guilty pleasure I have is Storage Wars. I'm with I just, you. Oh I just, my God, I love Storage you. Wars. Okay. I never watched Storage Wars. You just made fun of me for it. I did make fun of you for it. Yet two days ago on Sunday, I have a couple hours off. I go to turn the Xbox on, and Storage Wars is on. Hypnotic. And then I yeah. stop. Yeah. Not going anywhere. <laughs> and before I know it, I'm like, yep. Oh my God, how are they going to get rid of those skates? Those skates have got to be worth, like, if he doesn't make $400, his wife's going to get in the business. is an original horsehair motorcycle jacket <laughs> from the 1950s. That is going to be easy, $800. This is exactly. The guy takes an old keyboard to Marty and Elaine at That's the right, dressing room. Right. Like, oh, he's at the fucking dressing room. I was, room. I was yeah, done. Yeah. They got, they got, uh, what is it? He had a, he had a, uh, the funny guy. Had Barry. A, had a, uh, huh? Barry. Barry oh, had this guy. great guitar, and he took it as like he's, oh, here's the guitarist from The Clash who's going to, yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. remember who the band member was, but he said, no, this is a great Aerosmith. guitar. Aerosmith. That's it? it? Yeah, it was from That's Aerosmith. That's it? Yeah, it oh, this is a good guitar. This, yeah, this yeah. guitar is about worth about 4500 bucks. When he found the drum set, he took it to Stu Copeland. All the storage guys are hanging out. And then Brandy and Jared, they got some place down in Orange County. I swear to God, I'm going to punch that into the GPS one day. No, I've I'm thought just, about I, it too. I gotta go off and buy I've some stuff, man. I I just like watching the the kind of the scenes they create because I in my head just I, I I go oh that must have taken like five takes but the guy gives the keyboard to Marty and Elaine oh, yeah, yeah and of course Marty and Elaine are at the point in their lives where they literally lack the ability to emote yes and anyway <laughs> and so he's like I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do and he smacks his hand on the keyboard this keyboard is now yours and they're like. Oh, that's that's really. And then I like the setup cutaway. Setup cutaway. As soon as I went up, I knew that was my locker. <laughs> you know, Dave. Dave's gonna pull his shenanigans with me, but I got news for him, buddy. You're toast. <laughs> I love that. Oh, gee. Tom Hanks just did a Daryl impression. My wife, my, wife, my wife comes home and says, "What are we doing in your office?" I said, "Baby, storage wars marathon. I had, like, I had like nine of them on you my DVR. You can't watch it. You can't. Not oh, watch it's it. fat. Do you, Dave not, rolls do you in? not want to go do that? Look, I, I, I'm doing Absolutely. pretty good. I could probably, Absolutely. I could probably get any of those lockers on. You probably. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something. Oh, please, there's something about it. Let's I just it. like to be in the back, you know, and however high it goes. All right, eight hundred going once, eight hundred going a thousand dollars, dude. I, no, you, you have to go bigger. You have to. We have to sneak you into the bag of storage wars. They're like six fifty, six seventy five. A million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I've always... Well, that's a little bit much. A bunch right. of trash bags. Although, you know, if there's like an old rusty bike in the back sure, of that and sure. some busted typewriters. <laughs> no, just typewriters. Just typewriters. I gotta tell you, I know those jokers are trying to take this away from me, but I'll tell you right now, that typewriter is mine. And, and it just, says, and it just says Tom Hanks on the bottom. It actually, they put your name on there. <laughs> Don't forget to pay the lady. <laughs> we should do a Storage Wars parody. That would be so oh, fun. Oh, my God. Oh, my I'm God. I'm sure we could get... A&E to let us 
do that. I'm sure. I, I'm sure. I have turned would. a few people on to Storage Wars, man. And now I've been too. telling people. By the way, These isn't it great? Look, look at America. America is such a obese and diverse and rich country that people will put stuff in storage and essentially forget about it. Yeah, forever. Yeah. 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 And by the way, gold coins. Yeah, sure. You know, right. safes with yeah. stuff in it, old uh, masterpieces, even, classic vintage Even the guitars. white trashiest of people live like kings. Yeah. Yeah. There was one, there was a, in the back, behind a mattress, covered with some paint, under a rag, was something that I think Dave Hester said, Mm, that could be a Hammond B3 organ if that's, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. if that's a Hammond B3, that's worth a lot of money. And then it cut to him that I'll tell you right now, I don't know much about music, but if that's a Hammond B3 organ, this locker is mine. Please, I love it. Please, Dana, I love it. Dana Gould has that great joke where he's like, one day they're just going to like lift open the thing and be, oh, there's a disc. What's behind it? It's a bucket of hands. It's a bucket of hands. <laughs> it's going to be the silence of the lamp. It's a shrunken head. Oh, hey, guess what? There's a dead dog carcass back here. Oh, Son of a gun. But I'll tell you right now. I'm telling you right now, Brandy and Jared, yep. married forever. That is the greatest They're marriage great. I have ever They're seen. They're a lot man. of fun. They are a blast. They're on Twitter. I love them when they fight. I love them when they make up. That is a great. Is a Boy, great she's going to give me the business. Like, it's so <laughs> much yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, if he doesn't figure out how to get these done, then we're. I love when you get little glimpses into how they met. Like, they met at a strip club. <laughs> like, no. that's like how they met. No. She was working. Oh. I like to think she was living in a storage bin and he opened it and uh, then they met. Did, did you see did. the one where they found a thing that was like they thought maybe it was a Knott's Berry Farm memorabilia? Yeah, so they go to Knott's Berry Farm. They took a Knott's Berry Farm with their kids. Yes. And so they turned it's a worthless thing. It's yeah. a repro. But then it shows him riding the rides and not the bear farm with her kids. I said, oh, man. Oh, man. Honey, how come we can't be like Jared and Brandy? We haven't even been to Knott's Berry Farm with our kids. We need to get into some kind of wars. Which is what the point of reality TV is all about. It is. Teach us how to appreciate our lives. But because you people can't see this, Tom actually removed his glasses in a professorial manner. And I'm pointing. Towards it as the expert in media. But I, I want. I also want to share the story of how we got you on this podcast, which yeah. is you collect vintage typewriters. We got some sitting around right yeah. here. And uh, one of our talent bookers, Ashley, is friends with your assistant, and said, you know, Tom collects vintage typewriters. So we said it'd be really fun to send him like a nice. We found a 1934 Smith Corona, typed out a letter on it, sent the whole typewriter over. And your response was exactly the response <laughs> you predicted. I no, it was exactly the response I would have wanted <laughs> because it was written on the typewriter and it started off with it was the, the tone of it was like, "What do you think I am, a whore? How dare you try to bribe? Oh, this thing types pretty sweet. I don't know if I. Oh, and it's really silent. Oh, all right, damn you all to hell! Like it was the most perfect. And here I am, <laughs> bought for the price. Of a typewriter yeah. that was in the Let back. Let that be like, known. And then when I met you, then when I met you for Biglia's movie, you were like, "You could have just asked. You didn't have to send me a typewriter." <laughs> Typewriters. Uh, the, I, I was. Uh, uh, I went to a. Uh, I was in Germany as of my year last year, and I went to. I love uh, history, and you know, particularly communists. Man, the communists cracked me up. <laughs> We went to this great museum that a guy started uh, in Dresden simply because he actually, the guy was from the West, and when the wall came down, he moved right back to Dresden to be with his family. And, uh, and essentially, not, he couldn't get a job. So, so he took all this stuff and jammed it, I think, as a, as a museum of all the stuff that's left over from East Germany. And it turns out that East Germany in the 50s 
had a really pretty good economy and they made really good typewriters, which I commented on. Next thing I know, boom, it's on the radio <laughs> and I got I got East German typewriters arriving at the hotel, <laughs> you know, like crazy. So I scored good on some, and everybody got a letter back. Dear, you know, Frau, uh, you know, <laughs> Bush, yeah, yeah. I, thank you so much. Pardon my, I don't speak German. And the thing that's tough about German typewriters is in the German language, uh, the Y is not used merely, nearly as much as the letter Z. So on, on the typewriter keyboard, they're transposed. Uh, uh, an American type, English language, QWERTY, Q-W-E-R-T-Y. In Germany, it's QWERTS, Q-W-E-R-T-Z. So typing a letter to somebody on a German typewriter, oh, that's just a motherfucker. Pardon <laughs> my language. Quartz? You'll beep that out. Quartz, ah! Uh, well, don't be shiz. I mean, shy. <laughs> don't, you know, you're, you're screwing up. You're screwing up every every time you try to. Vez went to the market. No, they went to the market. Hard to talk about the band, Yaz. You can yeah. never. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every letter's 40 yeah. pages because yeah. he's apologizing for each yeah, mistake. Yeah, it was a good zeer for me. I mean, year for me. Tough. But thank you for that typewriter. No, please. I was, it, was, it was an honor. And, and, and it was one of those things where I'm like, ah, he, he's never going to respond to this. So it was a, it was, it was a, <laughs> so, so I got a, I got a, I got a letter from a lady. Uh, you know, dear Mr. Hanks, I hear, I read in a magazine that you collect typewriters. My, my grandson is going out to college and I thought I'd raise some money and I've had this old typewriter in the, in the thing and I'd like to offer it for you and if you'd be willing to buy it, the, the money would go towards my son's college. So all right. So uh, she left a number and she wasn't too far away. She was up in Santa Barbara. So I called her up, cold called her. Hey, Meryl, or whatever her name was. It was Merle, something like that. Oh, well, I, well, I can't believe it, Mr. Hank. You must be calling about the typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I said, well, <laughs> what are you wearing? Well, yeah, have you, you know that it's a, it's a, it's dollar dollar picture night at, <laughs> yeah, at, the, I, at the local Acapulco in Mexico. Let's go. So I say, she said, "Well, thank you very much. I would love to uh, buy your typewriter, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, how much would you how much would you like for it?" She says, "Well, I, uh, I think uh, you know whatever whatever you offer would be fair." I said, "Okay. Well, you know, typewriters are essentially." Uh, worthless, <laughs> but I love them, and uh, you know I, I bought a lot of typewriters. Used like fifty bucks at Swap Beats and stuff sure. like that. But I'll give you a hundred dollars for it. And she said, "Well, I was really hoping for five hundred. Oh, oh, oh! So she because my son's going off to college. You mm -hmm. see, I said five hundred. It is. Oh, like, what, so sweet. what can I say? Yeah. And it was very nice. One of my niceness around here somewhere. So I, I'm not offering. Don't don't send me any. Yet. Or if you're Daryl on Storage Wars, it'd be a five hundred dollar bill. But she always just makes up that's, a $30 yeah, bill. That's 500 bucks. Hey, look, here. Here's an old typewriter. Hey, we're going to send this to that Hank Scott. That's, that's easy. That, that's, that's a C note right there. You know, like, but then he always is like, that's a $30 bill. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody on Storage Wars right now, come write to me. If you find a typewriter <laughs> in one of those things, you're going to get somewhere between 50 and 100 bucks right, from me. I will tell you this. Cash money. Three so, years from now, I'll see Barry sitting at this table with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Barry would come up with a typewriter that's made out of old like monkey paws. Or something like that. I, I, I think you're talking about Barrett's. <laughs> Barrett's uh, typed on a German yeah. typewriter. Yep, that's right. I love. I just. I, I love this idea of like you leave that woman's house and then he Barry calls her like 
you did great. It's like they totally. Uh, once again, I just got I just got suckered into that one. It, it's probably a teenage boy sitting at home. <laughs> oh, Mr. Hags, are you calling uh, about the time? Listen, I need you to pretend to be an old lady for a while. I got it. I, I got it. Don't, don't worry about it. it. I'll split it with you. <laughs> oh, Mr. Hags, is this how you're calling about the typewriter? My son. I, I gave I gave some stone thirteen year old <laughs> for his grandma's typewriter. Let me get education Damn on how it. to get weed. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Um, who were some of your just really quickly like who were your comedy influences? I see. Well, I, I see. Obviously, I saw the Woody Allen, but oh, then these, I noticed yeah. that the Woody Allen was actually well. The, the, the theme of, of this Muhammad is Ali. Muhammad Ali. Yeah, we got him, and also uh, Willie Mays. Willie Mays. This had nothing to do with comedy, but sure. when I was a kid, me and my brother would see this Willie Mays. You can look it up on YouTube. It's Willie Mays a PSA, Public Service Announcement. For blasting caps. Now understand, we lived in Pleasant Hill, California. Willie Mays was the god of all time. Willie Mays was the most famous man on the planet, and he played in San Francisco. We saw a couple of Giants games when they came out. Actually, I saw a Giants game between my first baseball game ever was the San Francisco Giants with Willie Mays against the Milwaukee Braves yep. with Hank Aaron. That was Hammer. a pretty great Hammer. game. I didn't know it at the time. It was a big Hammer. deal. So, so I have Willie Mays up in here because he had this PSA for blasting caps that I'm going to say that my brother and I might have seen it when I was when I was uh, six and he was eight and a half. We might have seen it three times, but it is so memorable. <laughs> and if you get it on YouTube, it's like, these are blasting caps. <laughs> Kids are here playing. Don't touch them. Blasting cabs are dangerous. Remember now, don't touch them. Save your arms, save your legs, and save your eyes. If you see blasting cabs, remember, don't touch them. So for years in our life, my, every time my brother's around, we say, you want some, here, this coffee is hot. Be careful. Don't touch them. We'll just go on and on. But I have to tell you, but, oh, and it always ended, so play with these and not with those. Because it's play with these and they show a baseball with a glove and a thing, and not with those. And they show a picture of blasting cabs. I had never seen blasting cats yeah. in my life. But I guess it was a lot of like development to the 60s going on, a lot of housing developments and kids playing it. I guess, you know, you'd it come It sounds like a commercial cat. for blasting cats. <laughs> yeah. that's it. That Hi, I'm Willie May. Are you looking for good blasting cats? <laughs> you want to get rid of your body hair? <laughs> a baseball doesn't blow up, but blasting caps. Remember now, don't touch them. <laughs> but the way he said, so save you your arms cool. and save your legs and save your eyes. <laughs> Play with these. And not with those. Oh my God! It was. We, and so I immediately sent it to my brother. Yeah, we come watching. up with stuff like that. Pull it up. Pull it up if you can find it and slap that audio on. Did you this, get it? Uh, the fabulous buck. Here. Let's play it on this. <laughs> Just hold it up. Hold it up to the microphone. Play it, but play it as safe as Louis life. This can play hard, but play it safe. Like I did. It's gorgeous. But after seeing that, you, kids, 
something. My brother and I were convinced that we would be blown up by blasting caps <laughs> if we walk anywhere where explosives are used. No, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Don't Touch Them has not found its way into a movie. That you've seen. <laughs> all a good time, my friends. Yeah. All, all a good time. Yeah, so have fun like I do. Yeah, He's <laughs> one of the most famous center field baseball yeah, players yeah. in the world. Yeah. Oh, God bless. But uh, comedy. Uh, uh, um, Oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on something. Robert Klein was really mm, big, because yeah. he actually made. We, we grew up with comedy albums. Robert Klein's yeah. comedy album Steve was Martin. was fan. Oh yeah, Steve Martin. Uh, uh, the 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 most uh, uh, the most uh, impactful comedy movie I'd ever seen in a hundred million years was uh, uh, Hard Day's Night. When we yeah. when we went so and saw funny. Hard Day's Night, I could not believe how funny it was. Yeah. I mean, the music was of course fantastic, but. Those were the most hilarious, you know. No, I'd be, oh, I'd be excited about that eventuality. We still, I still quote it all. Jared the time. Also, the dedication Raymond. of when George Harrison just eats it on the pavement really hard. Oh, just and, so and they all laugh. Yeah, they all, and just they all keep laughing. laughing. Yeah. Oh my God! Or the way they, the way they played, um, the played the card game, you know, in back yeah. in the back. You know, John Lennon's pulling aces out of yeah. his sleeve, and they made up some goofy name. Yeah. I use that stuff all the Those time. Those Beatles movies, it's like they were. I love that was great, and I loved Yellow Submarine a lot. I can't deal with Yellow. You, I, it's I love so Help. Dry. I think Help is, help is help great. Is, help, help is really funny. Yeah. I saw Sergeant Pepper's recently. Do you oh, the, the Sergeant Pepper's the Bee Gees movie? movie? Oh dear! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> which, which Steve Martin was in, by the way. He yeah. played Maxwell, Silver Hammers. Yeah, Doctor Maxwell. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. No, I, I avoided that one. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> really you could, you could just see, decision, you could just see that happening. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, George Burns is in that. George Burns. Yeah, a lot. Of you know what? Here's the story I remember about that. Is that they had the soundtrack album to that, right? Mm -hmm. With the Bee Gees and you know who are yeah, at the yeah, absolute yeah. top of the bounce. Yeah. Top of the has a go today. And they <laughs> they shipped more copies of the soundtrack to the Bee Gees. Oh, that's criminal. Than they sold of the original Sergeant Pepper. Oh, that album. hurts. Wow. That hurts. They shipped. They literally they made. More of those records than the actual Beatles, Sgt. Pepper sold. sold. It, and, ah. and when you think about it, it's a weird. I'm trying to. I'm trying to equate what that would be like today. But basically, the big. You know, like the biggest band of the '70s plays the biggest band of the '60s. Like it's such a <laughs> yeah. weird. Dynamic. Not even. Yeah. Not even that. It was ten. It was just ten years before. Very. Yeah. Wasn't <laughs> it? Was just. I think they were writing uh, writing high on on Lucas's American Graffiti, which yeah. is a great movie that came out. I believe they made it nine years. But it's whatever. After the whatever's the biggest be like, hit of two thousand two. Wait, wait, though, no. That would be like that would be like if the Jonas Brothers did the Nirvana movie. No, 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 no. That's what happened. Yeah, no, that's no, 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 no. Who was big in two thousand two? Two thousand two. Find out Mom's who was house. The, My, but it was uh, like really big. Who was it? Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe uh, like uh, uh, Madonna. Kelly Clarkson's first album. The, stro the Strokes were big. And the Strokes, but not Beatles. Oh, man, what a hipster this is! <laughs> 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 oh, not the Strokes. I worked in a record store in 2002. Oh, I know man. what sold. The, yeah, what, you don't like, know what sold as far. Hey, as what other, whatever Swedish rock trios are you big on? <laughs> just add them on. Shakira, Nelly, yeah, Nelly, Nelly. Nelly. yeah. So, All right, so that was 2002. Sure. So it would be like the Jonas Brothers. Playing, playing Nelly, Nelly <laughs> from the golden, the happy, 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 fun times of 2002. Still after 9 11. I'm sorry, I was trying to keep it in the rock and roll. You would keep it in the rock and roll, etc. I have to tell you, oh, I, I still, when I'm driving down the street, th that, th that thing you do song, 
I, I just find oh, myself going, such a good song. Nine million pieces. I'm like, I haven't seen this movie in years. Like it, that song. That's because we played the song seven times. <laughs> but that's, well, that's still that's okay. not as much as like a songs in other movies. Like uh, in uh, in in So I Married an Axe Murderer, they play uh, the um, There She Goes song about there eight she, times. Oh, the, the laws, yeah. she the laws, and the Boo Radley's. Version. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. But but you but the whole idea of that movie of writing like that one hit wonder band with a super earwormy song, like you actually did <laughs> yeah. write that. We had, super we had, we had, I had I had top top notch professionals coming to me. And says you can't play that song this many times. <laughs> I said, well, it's kind of the point of the movie. I know that normally we have a bunch of other things, but the fact is, I talked to the guy who was in the Hondells, who's actually a friend of Gary Gessman, my producing partner. The Hondells recorded um, "Little Honda," mm-hmm. "Go Faster, Faster, yeah. Little Honda, Honda," a song that I think lasted one minute and thirty seconds. <laughs> it's like incredibly <laughs> fast. And he went out on the Dick Clark rock and roll caravan tour with a bunch of other bands including uh, the Supremes and I said well what was what was the job my job lasted 90 seconds every night <laughs> we'd go out we'd play little Honda and then that was it then we were done we'd get on the bus and go somewhere else Jeez. so these guys for one for one summer they played little Honda every night for wow. you know 60 nights and then that that was their gig I thought that was just that was just hilarious so That's we played great. the song a lot in the movie as would you know the band that yeah. has only one hit that anybody. Cares I think that I think that thing you do is probably one of the uh, closest uh, movies I've ever seen that like actually resemble what it's like to be in a band. Uh, the the granddaddy is this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, that's the one yeah. that everybody even even musicians will put that on. Say but it's even like too. even just the way they interact and the way they, like it shows them start and in the uh, in the director's cut or the Tom Hanks edition, I think it's called. <laughs> which means all the stuff yeah. that we cut out of the movie. Yeah. Every Put scene we shot else. is essentially. What it plays. It's great. It's a, it actually it made me. It actually is a better. It's, it's slightly. Better. It's a different. It's a more more thematic movie. And uh, it feels. It actually it's longer, but it feels faster. Because, oh, that's interesting. Know, the, yeah. uh, like the elements that kind of keep you excited. Like I like I liked seeing uh, Skitch's uh, apartment to see how much of a kind of like a mod guy he was. <laughs> you know, like it's like it was, he, it's like you realize because they kind of like refer to him as kind of like being a hipster type. You know? <laughs> that's all I cared about. Man. <laughs> that's all I cared about. Man. <laughs> Frank, it's like seat in the park, and you're just like, you're like ah. He's got the hi-fi on. He's yeah. got Charlize Theron kissing on him. Yeah. He's watching a Kirk Douglas yeah. movie on his black and white. <laughs> oh, God, I love it yeah. so much. It's like it's, it oh. perfectly sets up that guy. Uh, and, and, like, and, so, and then like your character turns out to actually be uh, an old, uh, old homosexual. Yeah, I, I, my, uh, I, my boyfriend was... Um, uh, uh, oh, geez, I'm having a cranial plate shift here. Uh, uh, Howie Long was my yes, boyfriend. That's right, yeah. I, I called, I said, Howie, listen, making this movie. I never met Howie Long. I cold called him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I know, I know right you make some movies. Uh, look, uh, if, w- if, you w- if you want to come and play this one, say, essentially what you're going to play is, is my boyfriend. The only thing you have to do is sit behind the wheel of an XKE Jaguar. I'll get in, we'll say a couple lines, we'll drive off laughing into the night. Yeah. Like every gay couple <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> right? And he said, and he just said, hey, if you want to do it, sounds great to me. That's awesome. So he, he came and he did it and said, and every girl on the crew was could not work that night. They all had like uh, a rubbery <laughs> Lauren, how long is on the thing? Because the guy is like this gorgeous, gorgeous guy. Uh, but the, yeah. The uh, the other scene that was in there that wasn't in the original theatrical release was um, it was a very simple scene. It was when they first get to the, I think, uh, the, the Pittsburgh show. Yeah. And then they come out on the stage to see how many people actually, like, how much does this fill? And then, and then they all <laughs> kind of just like are 
really blown away about yeah. they're about to play like the biggest show they've ever done and then they kind of just start checking out the sounds like and clapping and snapping and hearing that like and then they all just kind of start goofing off and just that moment like it's like it the movie takes the time and it actually seems a lot more realistic of the the path of the band yeah you know, the the frenzy that you have to cut a movie in because uh, uh, we we finished rap we wrapped that movie in I think uh, I don't know, in the spring, and we had to get it ready in time for the Toronto Film Festival. And the frenzy of cutting a movie and trying to get it all done, it's all about the running time and stuff like yeah. that. I'm sure that I lost any sense of, of uh, narrative or storytelling. Yeah. I just How long is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be under two hours and time running. We just were so, so frustrated. Uh, but then to go back, and that's a great thing about DVDs, you could go back and put every, absolutely everything in that you loved in it. Because like we had the bass player, Yes. Actually had a uh, romantic rendezvous yes. with uh, one of the Chantrelles. That's right, yes. You yes. know? And it's like, then you were like, well, we, we thought, uh, Gary was saying, dude, if you put that in the movie, you're going to might be you're gonna have to go defend against a hard R. I said, are you kidding me? Well, it's a possibility that you'd have to go in and do Absolutely. that. You can't have anybody smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. So yeah. it was all about cutting down for time, and you end up losing yeah. all the, the beautiful, you know, subtle fun stuff there. yeah that's actually one of my favorite subtle things in the entire movie is just the bass player uh, also no name just the bass player, <laughs> the bass player. Is his name even in the credits uh, but um, he gets better at the bass each time they play the song <laughs> yeah, yeah every time like you see him like trying new things and getting excited <laughs> Ethan Embry and Ethan Embry yeah. who plays the bass by the way yeah, oh, he, he really does play the bass. Oh, so he kind of simplified that. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted that. I always wanted that career moment. It's just like that movie has the perfect uh, career ascent montage of like, hey, we just heard it once on the radio, and then dead and a dead, and then you <laughs> see like climbing up the Billboard That's charts, it, and it just yeah. never works that way no, in real life. But no. it's so fucking. It's uh, so well, fun. It, you know, from uh, uh, this guy, I, the, there's a great guy, um, uh, uh, Bob Green. Um, he's a writer. He used to be a columnist in Chicago. He wrote a great book called um, Be True to Your School. He, he was a high school journalism student and decided as an exercise, I'm going to write a, uh, a daily journal for all of the year 1964. And he did it. It's, it's a great, from January 4th, and if you think about 1964, <clears throat> the Beatles were on TV in February of 1964. And by the end of 1964, A Hard Day's Night had come out. You know, so it was like, it was a yeah. fabulous year yeah. for that great uh, British invasion. And so the idea of having a song on the charts uh, at the Mercyhurst College Talent Show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then and by the end of it, you're on whatever third-rate imitation of the Ed Sullivan show yeah, that yeah, exists, yeah. you're on there, and then your band breaks up. It's actually kind of like the lifespan of, uh, of, of, an, uh, of an awful lot of bands yeah. as they existed at the time. Yeah, especially Captain Keach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, we're gonna a location you. that you see in all sorts of TV commercials, by yes, the way. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. going to let you go in a minute because you've been super awesome to sit here at this time with us. But uh, two, two other things. First of all, um, I've been watching Electric City. Oh, uh, oh wow. It's really, really cool, and it, it looks amazing. Um, so what, you know, like just your, your sort of foray into digital, into the digital space. Yeah, uh, which is a, uh, <clears throat> which is a, still remains a mystery to absolutely everybody, <laughs> everybody involved. The big thing is, is, is what you, you talk to, talk to people on the phone, you know, the people you talk to on the phone about your career, yeah. you know. 
Uh, hey, let's talk about the Electric City. Yeah, it can't be monetized. That's, <laughs> that's all they say. Well, I mean, no, it's great. It's a huge hit. Yahoo it was was thrilled. Uh, it more like it had like five times the clicks that Yahoo was. You lost a million dollars. Uh, no, we lost everything. <laughs> Absolutely everything. We had we we paid salaries, which was great because we had animators and everybody that did stuff. You know, they they Six they, they got a yeah they have great great animators. But then what happens after that? The only way we loved it because we just sat around here. We worked on that thing probably for about six years because we did get these meetings every now and again. We talk about the. You know what's the logic of the electric city, and you know uh, what are what are the what are the iconographic type characters who who can we pull from history that they sort of represent, you know? And uh, then we came up with a look, and the people went berserk, and we had like rooms full of, I mean, there would be a room this size, and there would be honestly there'd be fifty animators in there, all working on their laptops and doing stuff like that. So they, everybody got paid. And then it goes up, and I think probably like seven million people or something like yeah. that have looked at it. And then the question is, and then? <laughs> well, <laughs> unless you can get somebody interested into doing whatever the next version of, uh, of uh, like media presentation yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. You know, is, there, is it a half hour show? Is it an animated movie? Is it a feature? We don't know. But it's, that you, it's, it's, great, it's a great mental exercise, it's a great storytelling exercise, <clears throat> which was a blast. Uh, I never, I'll, I'll, I'll never see it. <laughs> but, but yet it did it all for fun. I'll yeah. tell you, I think the importance, I think the importance of it is, is you know, as we see the platforms sort of coming together, you know, there are two cables that come into people's houses right now. And yeah. sooner, sooner or later there'll be one. Uh, and, and I think it's very important for people in your position to, just in the same way that in the early days of cable television, which, you know, digital platform is to cable what cable was to network 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is that people go, oh, this is actually legitimate. People like Tom Hanks are getting involved. I think it's important for you guys to do that, even though there's no money in the short term, to sort of plant that long-term flag. Well, the truth is money has nothing to do with it. And it, it really just is. I get to do an unvarnished, unbridled, uncensored, uncontrolled, unregulated story yeah. in which... Uh, I, as the voice of a guy named Cleveland Carr, mm -hmm. get to do really violent things, to, you know, to people. With this under, weird society of knitting uh, ladies. Yeah, under this thing of it's good, it's good for our city if you go and make these guys disappear and break their necks and do things like that. So the freedom that it gives you that you have nowhere else on the planet. That's really what that's what yeah. really what is. And I think that guys like you know Will Ferrell and yeah. uh, everybody like uh, um, uh, uh, Funny or Die or anybody else is going off and doing it is doing it because it's it's as broad a canvas and as empty a canvas as if you were a painter. You get to do anything you want to do it if you think it's fascinating and can and can make it interesting enough so that people will click on, you know, see the first three episodes. And by the way, the episodes are three minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they go on the fourth and the fifth and sixth, well then you've got them and all you're doing is being the you know the good storyteller around the around the campfire. And it's a blast. And we'll do it we'll do it some more. Uh, unfortunately, it, even that is a little bit on the the, the expensive side. Yeah, yeah. you got to be able to pay the salaries at yeah. the end of the day because yeah. you can't ask people to do this for free. It ain't right. Um, just a really quick. It ain't right. It ain't right. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, really quickly, um, Cloud Atlas looks. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. It looks amazing. That's uh, wild. I'm super excited to see that. And then if you have one. One, I'm sure you get this all the time, but we're just a lot of young performers and creators and people listening to the podcast. So, like, one piece of advice for a man in your position that that yeah. that you wouldn't that people wouldn't necessarily know or hear all the time. Like, what sort of one weird like 
No one ever really told me that this is is the way that a career has to happen. Oh, that's interesting. That uh, yeah, okay. Well, I look. I have to tell you, it's so it's totally different now from from before. It's, uh, when I was when I was in you know in the times when I was trying to establish a beachhead or just to like get a job in the first place. <clears throat> The, the closest you could come to the freedom that you have now that you, uh, on the internet and the web and the, and the material is you could form a local theater group in a garage somewhere and do plays that you liked or you made up yourself. And I know a lot of people that did. Gary Sinise, I mean, uh, what he did um, with Steppenwolf Theater, he started that right out of high school. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know he that. He started it right out of high school with Laurie Metcalf and, a few, and, and uh, 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 John... Uh, um, uh, no. Cock uh, toasting. No, no, no. no. Great Buck Howard, forgive me. I'm having a... a oh, oh um, uh, uh, John Malkovich. John Malkovich and a few others. And they did it in, like, abandoned gas stations and basements of Methodist churches. And that was it. And it was all just about, let's just do good plays and have everybody do a good part. And that became Steppenwolf Theater. <clears throat> that's, the, that's the best example of it. But now, uh, the, the, there is... Look, you got an idea. You've got these things, and you got that thing, yep. and with and I'm I'm pointing to electronic devices, <laughs> you know, a sure microphone, you are, and a camera. <clears throat> uh, you and it, and an idea. That's it. The rest of it literally will take care of itself, both in ways that are amazing and ways that are um, uh, ridiculous. I mean, look at the guy. There's a 32-year-old South Korean dude. <laughs> You know, who's doing that goofy dance now. Gangnam yeah. style. Call, call it what you want to do, but that dude's on Saturday Night Live now. You know, yeah. it's that girl that recorded that song Friday, and she's got her, like, a recording record. Um, I wish I could give salient, um, uh, you know, true advice, but the world that I came up in is gone with the wind. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, <clears throat> now the, the thing is, is that you have to do it. I think that would be the biggest thing. You have thing. to do it. You have and to do no it. And re there's no excuse not to anymore. There is... Alas, and that's what's scary. There is no excuse not to. So what you're going to be living and dying by is your own talent and your own perseverance. Mm -hmm. In the old days, you could have talent and you could have perseverance, and you just had to like wait it out. You know, you had to ride it out. Now, if you have talent and perseverance, you actually have to produce. Mm -hmm. You've actually got to make it happen, and you've got to get it up on what in whatever venue, whatever platform. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Whatever media. Uh, that uh, that it is available to you, and quite frankly, if if it does good, guess what? Five million people will see it. But if you're doing something that is about truth and beauty and joy and happiness and fun or history or whatever it is, you have the tools at your disposal. And alas, now you actually have to do it yourself, and you have to do it for free, and you probably have to do it like that for a while until uh, your output has such quality that it's it's recognized by anybody who sees it, and then enough people see it, and the next thing you know, someone might give you that uh, that opportunity to come in and say, hey, why don't you develop this longer? Or we have this other thing that you might do. It happens. Here's the good news. It happens all the time uh -huh. now. It truly happens all the time. The lifeblood of this kooky, nutty business <laughs> is new talent. And new talent actually gets to present itself on its own terms, which when I was doing Boys and Buddies was not the case. You might be able to, you could do a play somewhere, but you couldn't make a movie back then. So you and then. Peter just didn't show up places and dresses and be like, this is the show! <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Funny? No, we were, we were like offered jobs. Uh, you know, the, when I was doing it, uh, you could do um, 
Uh, you could do commercials, but you know you had to. That was auditions that you had to pass. I couldn't get arrested in commercials. Uh, and you could do off-Broadway, you know, showcase theaters and things like that. And, or you could be in a play and somebody would see it. But now you could present your own stuff and people will see it. And it will, it will generate, you know, if it generates an audience, ta talent and quality will out. That's it. So Tom it's Hanks. actually a bigger burden on young artists than it used to be. You've been amazing. Uh, Fun talking to would you. Would you please yeah. uh, tell our audience to enjoy their burrito? That's how we end every podcast. Oh, is that right? We tell them to enjoy your burrito. <clears throat> oh, man. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All I can tell you is enjoy your burrito, which, by the way, is, is kind of like, it's a philosophy for a living. That's how we do That's what we say, yeah. What enjoy is, your yeah. burrito, my Enjoy friend. the present. Enjoy, enjoy the present. Enjoy the burrito. Don't live in the past or the future. That's right. Hey, Tom Hanks. Great talking to you. Good to see uh, you. Fine. Thanks, man. Okay, and my, my, my hat is off to the, Josh, the, yeah, the was, YouTube uh, yeah, the web, good, yeah. webmaster extraordinaire. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, that was fun, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. That's terrific. Lady, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.